So uh, last week, as we began this Lenten journey, uh, we stopped and we considered the power of reflection. Because our world moves so fast, right, that we don't stop and reflect. We don't call a time out. We don't pause. And because we don't pause, we can't listen to God. And because we can't listen to God, we end up doing dumb things that make big mistakes and make things worse. Today I want to offer something else that we need to consider in this time of Lent. It's another R word, and it's a very unpopular word for all of us. It makes us squirm a little bit, and that word is repent. And there are two reasons I think that this word uh, makes us squirm and feel uncomfortable a little bit. One, this word has been uh, abused a lot, and it has. People have used it in derogatory ways, in ways that judge people, in ways that hurt people. But another reason that we don't like this word repent is because we all have to do it. But in order to do it, we have to admit that we've got some problems in our life, some sin issues that we never like to do and to deal with. So the word that I want to talk about today is this word repent. And I acknowledge that it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but I encourage you just let that word sit with you a little bit today. Because if we don't let repentance sit with us, then we can't make the change and we can't live the life that God has for us. And we can't heal this world that God loves so passionately. As we talk about repentance, even though repent was the first word that Jesus used as he began his ministry, I want you to turn to the Old Testament, to a man called Joel. We don't know too much about Joel. There's only three or four pages in the scriptures about him, a few short chapters. But Joel's message to the world and to the time that he was living in was the same one that Jesus started his ministry with and the same word that our world needs to hear today, repent. Joel was a prophet. And he was a very um, uh, unusual, if you will, kind of prophet because it was said about Joel that there was two things that he understood with great clarity. One was what was happening in the world at the time. And this letter is addressed to uh, the people in Jerusalem, to, to God's people. He understood what was happening in the world, but he also understood what God wanted to say and speak into the world. If you will, Joel had the wisdom to see the problem, but he also had the courage to know the answer. The problem was what was happening in the world, and the answer was God, and through his prophetic word, he managed to apply the cure of God's grace and God's love to the problem of sin in the world. And the way he applied that was by using this word that feels so uncomfortable to us, Repent. 
Repent. Has anyone seen the National Lampoon European Vacation movie? I don't even know if this is something to admit to doing in to watching in church. But if you see, yeah, I know, maybe kind of like a little hand raise. No, no one's kind of jumping up saying, saying me on that. But on European vacation, one of my favorite scenes is when they're in London. And they spend a whole day going around the roundabout. You seen that? You remember that scene? And so it starts off in the morning. He kind of turns onto the road. He gets on the roundabout. And he just drives around. And he's, he's doing it correctly because he's on the inside of the roundabout. And he points out Big Ben. Hey, kid, look, it's Big Ben, right? And then he just continues to go round and round and round. And the next thing you know, the same scene is happening. But this time, it's nighttime. He says, hey, kids, look, Big Ben. <laughs> hey, kids, look, Big Ben. <laughs> And he spends his whole day in London going around this roundabout, seeing the same thing, doing the same thing over and over and over again. I think one of the reasons I love that scene is because for many of us, that scene is how life plays out, right? We're on this journey and we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we're seeing the same things. And we're not really getting anywhere. And it feels a little bit frustrating, but we don't know what else to do. So we just keep going round and round and round and round. It is to people who are going round and round and round and round that Joel speaks to. And I want to look at all of his book because there's a lot in there. But I want to pull out a few points that redirect us when we find that life is going round and round and round and going nowhere. First thing I want to say is found in Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Joel says, blow the horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. I think the first thing that Joel says to the people in Jerusalem, the first thing that God would want to do to those of us who are caught in this endless journey of going round and round and round is to blow the horn, to honk the horn, to say, hey, there's a problem. You can talk about living the abundant life, but you're really not getting anywhere. You can talk about living life in its fullness, but really you're running on empty. You can talk about speeding through life and how busy you are, but really you're just driving round and round and round very slowly. You know what happens when we're not going anywhere, when we're stuck in traffic, we start to hear these horns. And honestly, most of us are uh, pretty annoyed when we hear someone honking their horn at us, right? 
But if we're not doing the right thing, if we're not going in the right direction, if we're not driving correctly, we need to hear the horn. And I think that's where repentance starts. With someone blowing the horn, with us hearing that honk that shakes us, that frustrates us. This is what what Joel says in verse 3. He says, this is your situation. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. A fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame blazes. Think about that picture, right? He says, in front of you there is a fire that is devouring you, and behind you there is a flame that blazes. What he's saying is that you're in this situation and you're engulfed in fire. And this fire is is engulfing you, but you don't realize it. And he says, it is like the Garden of Eden in front of them, but behind them is like a desert wasteland. He's saying the only way that you're going to get out of this traffic jam, the only way you're going to get out of this problem is going through the fire. And you've got two choices. You can go to the fire, get burned, and head to the wilderness. Or you can go through the fire towards Eden. One fire destroys, the other purifies. Even though we're living in a difficult time right now, even though we could say that we are surrounded by fire, we still have a choice. Are we going to let that fire burn us as we head to a wilderness of abandoning everything that's important to us? Or are we going to go through the fire and let that fire purify us and make us better on the way to Eden? Does that make sense? But right now, he says, you're consumed by fire and you don't know it. And you need to hear the alarm. You need to hear someone honking their horn at you. He goes on in verse 7 at the end, this is the problem. He says, each goes on his own path and they do not change their course. Man, that's a pretty accurate diagnosis of where we are right now in so many ways. We think that our course is the right way. In fact, we think our course is the only way. And if someone doesn't agree with us, then they must be wrong. And if someone is wrong, then they must be shunned and avoided and become figures of hate. Joel's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works. There's another way. There's a, a better way. The first step is that we, we hear this honk. We've got to hear the alarm. We've got to realize that there's a problem. And that if we don't address this problem, then we will be burnt to the wilderness. So let's go through the fire of purification on our way to, to Eden. The first thing that we must do is we must, when we're caught on this roundabout, when we're trapped in our sin, is sound the alarm. 
I fear that we've found a way somehow internally to not hear the alarms. We've become comfortable with our own sin. We've created this critique against ourselves that if someone challenges us, they're the problem, not us. As we talked about last week, we've lost this self-reflection. We kind of live with this, oh, if only everybody was as good as me mentality. And all those stuff combine for us not to hear the horn. Not to hear the bell ring that says, hey, we got a problem. Repentance, the first thing we've got to do is to to realize that we're surrounded by fire, to realize there's a problem, to realize that that we're a contributor to that problem. See, 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 one of the problems with repentance and why it's become such a dirty word is that we say, hey, you need to repent or they need to repent. That's not what scriptural repentance looked like. Scriptural repentance looks like I need to repent. I need to be first in line to change my behavior. Hear the honk. And there's some pretty loud honks right now. Secondly, verse 12. The second part of repentance is wrapped up in that phrase, verse 12, turn to me. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from disaster. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Second step in repentance is to turn around. That's what repentance means. It literally means you're going in one direction. Turn and go the other way. He says, turn to me with with all your heart. Not just a little piece, not just a part of it, but all of it. As I was looking at this verse this week, I was reminded that in our Western Christianity, we've got lots of problems, and one of them is how we define what it means to follow God. We say, hey, if you want to follow God, you say a little prayer. You trust Jesus, meek and mild, and you you try your best to become like him. But Joel reminds us it's so much more than that. It's about turning around with all of our hearts. He says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. He's saying, be so broken by your behavior. Be so broken by your sin. So be, be so broken by the, the, the traffic jam you're on and the roundabout that you're caught in that it grieves you, 
that you have to turn around because you can't stand that sin in your life. Following Jesus isn't just putting your hand up and saying a little prayer and saying, hey, I'm in. It's rending our hearts. Saying, yeah, Lord, I was caught in the fire. Yeah, my life was going nowhere. Yeah, my sin was destroying me. I heard the honk, and now I need to turn around. And the good news is, verse 13, is that when we turn around, we see the God who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. When we're caught in our sin, when we're trapped in the fire, when we're stuck on the roundabout, we don't see that guy. But we hear the honk and we start to, to turn around and we say, wow, there's grace for me. In my brokenness, there's compassion. God's not going to get angry at me because he forgives me. He's faithful in his love. Again, verse 15, blow the horn. Blow the horn. Repentance. Blow the horn. Turn around. And start heading the right way. Verse 17 says this. This is such a great question, and I only read this verse earlier this morning, and I wish I'd read it earlier in the week because I, I really would like to camp on it more, but I haven't developed my thoughts around it. This is what it says, verse 17. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Just to kind of start this thought, and maybe I'll finish it when I've developed it a little bit more. We live in a world that is looking at Christians, and they're looking at the way that we live and the way that we behave, and they're saying, why would I want to be like this? These people who claim to follow God are such a poor representation of God that if that's who they are, I don't want anything to, 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 to be with them. What was that Gandhi quote? Man, I like your Christ, but I can't stand your Christians. And the problem is because we've watered down our faith so much that we've blended in with society so much that when people ask the question, where is God, they don't see him because they don't see him in our lives. And it shouldn't be that way, Joel said. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? People should look at us and how we're living and how we're being different and how we're rising above and how we're loving. That they see the, the work of us as followers of Christ. They see the work of us as the church and they say, oh, there is God. That's what he looks like. Scott and I were talking earlier this week about what's the church's response to the coronavirus. And Scott did a little bit of research. We didn't get this far, but Scott kind of uh, nudged me in the right direction. The 13th century is a, a huge plague that uh, wiped out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. But in the midst of that plague, the Christian church says, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to run towards those who have this plague, and I'm going to nurse them and serve them. 
I'm not going to cower in fear. I'm going to go face to face with those who are cowering uh, under this, this, this plague. And in doing that, they saved many lives in the care that they give, but they built the church. And in that time, people said, where is God in this plague? And they said, oh, he's here through his Christians who are caring for us in the midst of this. Repentance is about hearing this honk, right? It's about turning direction, and then it's about going the right way. It was a honk. (laughs) Verse 18, then the Lord said, the Lord became jealous for his land, and he spared his people. The Lord answered the people, look, I am about to send you grain, new wine and fresh oil. That was everything. That meant that not just they could survive, but that they would thrive. I will no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. He speaks to the land, verse 21. Don't be afraid, land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord is doing astonishing things. Joel speaks to the wild animals. Don't be afraid, for the wilderness pastures have turned green, and the trees are going to bear fruit, and the fig tree and grapevine will yield their riches. Children of God, Rejoice and be glad in the Lord because he gives you the autumn rain for your vindication. You hear what God is saying? As you head in the right direction, astonishing things are going to happen. Your needs are going to be met. Your reputation is going to be vindicated. Healing is going to come. Restoration is going to happen. But in order to do that, you've got to hear the honk and you've got to turn around and you've got to go the right way. You know, some, sometimes we have a hard time with going the right way, right? Oh, man, yeah, I, I was wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me turn around. But we stand here and we're kind of stuck because we like being stuck and we're familiar with stuck and we know what it means. And maybe regret is too much, but in verse 25, there's this great little nugget that Joel gives us as well. He says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate, the young locust, the destroying locust. So so one of the problems was that... um, there's these swarms of locusts that was coming in. That's why they needed the alarm. That was how the system got set up. Not only does God say, hey, hear the, hear, hear the horn, right? Turn around, start walking in the right way. As you walk in the right way, I'm going to repay what was lost because you wasted your life. Isn't that incredible? When the tough times came, when the swarms were all around you, When you were caught in the fire and you were lost in its sin, all that stupid stuff you did there, don't consider it as waste because I'm going to use it by repaying for you the years that the locusts have eaten. You know, that's another message for another day, but that's what uh, redemption looks like, right? That God restores that which was lost. 
But, but you know what? We don't experience that restoration until we've turned around, until we've started walking in the right direction, right? When we start walking in the right direction, we're, we're walking towards the blessing and the abundance of God and all the stuff that we've been lost has, has been repaid. And Joel goes on, if you can start walking in the right direction, man, there's even better things ahead. Not just your uh, provision, not just your taking care of, not just the restoration of your stuff. But he says this in, in verse 28. He says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth. 32, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape. Joel is saying, God's going to make a way. You, you can take the correct exit off the roundabout. There is a way for you to move away from this life of mundane trappedness. You got to hear the warning, the hunk. You got to turn around, you got to go the right way, and then you take the correct exit. As I was reading those last few verses in Joel chapter 2, you may have heard them before, and I think you probably have, but you didn't hear them from Joel, you heard them from Peter. Because Peter offers these same words right after Pentecost. When he gets up, after he's just seen Jesus ascend to heaven, after he's just seen Jesus resurrected, and he ushers these same words. And what, Pete, what Joel is prophesying here, Peter was pointing to backwards. They were pointing to the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Joel's saying there is one coming who's going to help you sound this alarm and turn around and go the right way and take the right exit. And Peter says, there is one who's come who's helped you hear this sound and turn around and go the right way and take the exit. And Joel is pointing to Jesus, and Peter is pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who makes repentance possible. Jesus is the one who on that cross paid the price for our sins. Who on that cross satisfied the wrath and destruction and the damage that our sinful lives had done. So Jesus starts his ministry by saying, repent. 
And Joel speaks to people much like us and says, repent. And the word for us to consider as we walk through Lent this week is repent. What horns do I need to hear honking? How do I need to turn around? What do I need to turn from? What do I need to, to walk the right direction and to take the right exit? And because it's all about Jesus and what he's done, the best way that we can do this is to draw close to this Jesus. Who still says today, turn to me and be saved. It's a word for us individually, but it's a world for our culture and our world as well. 